This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. This time last year, Liverpool were gearing up to begin their assault on the Premier League and in their 30-year wait for a league title, a journey which began at Anfield against Norwich City. Fast forward 364 days and the Reds once again have the Canaries in their sights, but for very differing reasons. With the transfer window now in full swing, Jurgen Klopp's eyes are fixed clearly on young Norwich left-back Jamal Lewis, who the German sees as an able deputy to Andy Robertson. I'm Guy Clark, welcome to the Blood Red podcast, as we get set to talk all things Jamal Lewis with a man who knows him well, having watched him come through the Carrow Road ranks. Joining us to give us the lowdown then on Liverpool's number one transfer target is freelance broadcaster and commentator Stuart Hodge. Stuart, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us and how are you keeping? Aye, not too bad, my friend. I mean, obviously the world has got a bit crazy uh, since we last spoke, uh, what with global pandemic et al. But uh, yeah, mate, things are good. Uh, sport kind of stopped, which changed my sort of way that I'm kind of having the outlook in my career. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Jamal Lewis. And uh, yeah, I'm quite glad we're talking about him more than Norwich City season as a whole, let's say that. Yeah, I remember this time last year, just before the start of the new Premier League season, we spoke on the Blood Red podcast on Behind Enemy Lines about what Liverpool should expect from Norwich City. And without going into all of that, because obviously the, the season's done and dusted now, there were a few players you picked out that Liverpool and other Premier League supporters should keep an eye on. And one of those was Jamal Lewis, who now at the ripe old age of 22 is attracting interest from the Reds. Yeah, and not to sort of big up myself at all, because loads of what I said in that podcast did not come to pass. But I think a lot of the names that you're seeing, not just that you're hogging the gossip columns at the moment, uh, which I'm not sure that the hierarchy at Carrow Road or, or could the Colney training base are too happy about. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think a few of the names that I picked out in that podcast are the likes of Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, uh, players like that who, who are... Uh, very much, as we say, hogging the gossip column. And yeah, this Jamal thing, it feels like the first big transfer saga of the summer. And I'll be honest, uh, given that I didn't expect a global pandemic, I'm kind of surprised that Norwich City are at the centre of the Premier League transfer saga of the summer so far. But I think that's just, I think that shows how the market's changed, Guy, because... If you look at the transfer market this summer, it's different to any other because everyone, even the top clubs with the crazy fantasy football figures of money, are tightening their belts because of this global pandemic situation. And the way that this has transpired is completely different to how any other transfer window would have been. I'm looking forward, actually, on uh, Sky Sports to, you know, they've always got the, the kind of hyperbole, Jim White with the graphic and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think their bar chart's going to go up this year, put it like that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel as though big spend's going to be outlaid across the Premier League and asking price something right at the centre of this. We'll get onto that in a bit. But as you say, there the word saga, it's transfer war chests, all of these phrases. It does feel as though this one does maybe have the makings of somewhat of a saga. I think Liverpool would want to get it done sooner rather than later. But obviously, the window is going to be open into October, and obviously the domestic one a little bit longer. So there is chance for this one maybe to rumble on. I think so. And actually, I would 
sort of maybe contend one of the things you said there, and I'm not sure Liverpool necessarily want to do this deal quickly. I think they want, because if you've got a transfer story that's rumbling on that you eventually bring to a conclusion, then what it does is it keeps the fans hungry to see what the next bit of news in that transfer saga is. And without going, speculating too much about how this may have emerged, I think it's, I think it's quite clear that this has emerged from the Liverpool end and not the Norwich end. I think it's quite clear that this has emerged as a means of trying to drive the asking price for Jamal down, hence what I would categorise as a completely derisory um, opening offer and uh, if, if the offer's gone through, as we, as we believe to have been the case, but also a derisory figure talked about. To talk about Jamal Lewis as a £10 million player is, is fantasy land, if you look at the way that the, the modern football market, even allowing for, for, for fluctuations due to the, the pandemic, I think that is a completely off-base figure. And it's... It's disappointing in a way um, because Liverpool, I've really admired how they've built their squad and how they've gone about it and that they've they've given value, they've paid out value for players. You look at Alisson, for example, he was the missing piece of the jigsaw when they got him. They paid top dollar for him. And what they're trying to do is they're trying, it, it feels like bullying. It feels like the club at the top of the Premier League bullying the club that finished bottom. And I, I just don't think it's on. And it's, for me, it's disappointing because I've really admired the way that Liverpool have gone about their business. A lot of people listening to this podcast might be annoyed by what I'm saying, but I don't care. I, I think I think it's very, very poor to talk about Jamal Lewis. It's disrespectful to talk about Jamal Lewis as a £10 million player. Yeah, it did seem to be a bit that was rejected very, very quickly indeed. Well, let's talk about Jamal Lewis then and what kind of player it is that Liverpool may well be looking at and may well end up bringing to Anfield. Looking at his numbers, he's made exactly 100 senior appearances then at the at the tender age of 22. I think a lot of people interested, certainly with him being a, a fullback, the modern fullback, as we so often talk about, able to go forward. But defensively, what's he like and what kind of player is it that Liverpool are looking at here? Well, actually, Jamal Lewis kind of flies in the face of what you're talking about in the sense that modern fullbacks are often, it's the kind of Danny Alves culture, isn't it? Where they're, they're, you look at what they do going forward and you you don't really focus so much on, on what they do defensively. But I think Jamal is the opposite of that. I think Jamal, as well as being a fantastic athlete, really quick um, good, good physical sort of attributes. I think Jamal is a very, very solid defender. He's one of those players who knows when to close the space and press the player and he knows when to stand off a wee bit. He's got that kind of defensive side of the game down. In terms of the other stats, I was speaking to to my good friend NCFC Numbers on Twitter, Steve Sanders, and he, he gave me some stats about Jamal. He's one game away from 100 for, for Norwich City. In that time, he's got two goals and four assists. He got one goal in the Premier League this year and no assists. So it's very, very interesting, if you look at the productivity of Trent and Andy Robertson, that Liverpool are looking at a fullback with that kind of thing. So that makes me think that Liverpool's thinking behind this is to have a different sort of option as well. That's not to say that Jamal Lewis can't improve in these aspects of his game. And of course, Liverpool have shown that they have a fantastic club culture in terms of bringing players on. And I think what that means is Jamal potentially has a high ceiling. He has a higher ceiling in terms of the ways he can develop his game while he already has that sort of defensive solidity side down. But Jamal's not one of these people you would rave about his his sort of numbers in terms of what he would do in the fantasy Premier League, you know? Like he's, he's one of those players more that is about the stats that the data analysts look at. It's yards run, it's the pace he's run at, it's the, the tackles and, and, and the duels, you know? That's more what his sort of strength is. 
I think as well, the other thing I would point out is just his consistency. He's 22, um, and he's only missed 17 matches since he, he made his debut. And I think that's really impressive for a player so young. Uh, I think that underlines just how much Daniel Farka, who's obviously not averse to, to trusting young players, does trust in, in what Jamal can do. And he's also, uh, with Northern Ireland, he's played he's played plenty of international football as well. So Liverpool are getting a young player with a lot of experience and he's he's contracted through to, to 2023 as well. So I think that's why Norwich are quite within the rights to demand uh, a more acceptable fee. Yeah, it is an interesting one and interesting to, to see how it how it plays out. And one of the things I have to say, sure, that does fascinate me somewhat is the fact that Norwich finished bottom of the Premier League, some way adrift in the end, conceded 75 goals. And as you alluded to right at the top, they've got defenders that the rest of the Premier League and even top clubs in the Premier League seem to be looking at and hovering over. I can't remember a situation like that ever before. Yeah, I think that's been reflected in Norwich City's recruitment this summer. So what they're looking at is they're looking at the midfield. Everyone's saying you didn't score enough goals, you conceded far too many. Why are you looking at the midfield? Well, that's because football, it's not the defenders alone that are responsible for the goals you concede, and it's not the attackers alone that are responsible for the goals you score. Uh, I mean, it's the, it's the whole picture. And I think what Norwich City lacked this season, and I've said it on numerous podcasts before, is physicality. Norwich City had a midfield where midfielders could do a job. Right, But if you look at Liverpool's midfield, they've got various midfielders who, although they might specialise in playing one way, you can slot them in various different holes and say, do this job or do that job, and they'll be able to, to sort of do that. They'll be able to adapt, you know? Um, if you ask Fabinho, who's obviously the sort of more defensive-minded one, if you say to him, we want you to shuttle a bit more, we want you to run between the boxes, he'll do it. He can do it. Um, Jordan Henderson, likewise, who if he's doing the box-to-box, he can then like become the sitter, you know? There's uh, Gini Vijnaldum's another one. Like, I mean, they've got various players that can play various roles. Norwich City this season had lots of midfielders who are of one type. Uh, like So we've got a box-to-box midfielder, a holding midfielder, players that couldn't really do other jobs. And I think that combined with just a sheer lack of physicality. Yeah, I know you know, like the, the, the EFL Championship, Sky, I know you, you follow it avidly as well. Uh, Norwich City last season got promoted, or the season before last as it is now, got promoted playing um, a brand of football that was based on technical proficiency and prowess. They weren't bigger or stronger than other teams in the Championship. They played a better, more vivacious brand of attacking football. And that's what got them up. But then what happened is... They, they were probably physically not as strong as some of the championship teams. Then they came to the Premier League and the Premier League's full of absolute brutes. So monstrous football players. So Norwich City just got bullied, I think. And that's kind of played its way into the amount of goals that have been conceded. And that is why I think, despite what people might say, how can a team that has conceded that many goals have so many defenders that the clubs are looking at? Club scouting departments know what they're doing. Like, I mean, they know a lot more about football players than the likes of me and you sort of sitting talking about them. Now, with that in mind, uh, you've got to say there's a reason that Ben Godfrey's been looked at. There's a reason Max Aaron has been looked at. And I think there's also a reason that Liverpool have picked Jamal particularly, and it's because he is not an Andy Robertson type of fullback. He can do the same running, but He's a, probably uh, about as accomplished defensively at this point, if not maybe even a wee bit more so. But Andy going forward has just, I mean, you should put it like this. If you're playing him for Scotland, I think you play him left wing. So there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and on that then, with Jamal Lewis and obviously being 22 and Andy Robertson, of course, was picked from a relegated side in Hull City. Is there that sort of thinking, do you think, from Liverpool that if Jamal Lewis has that solid base defensively, that as a young player coming maybe into a side like Liverpool, he wouldn't be expected to come in and play straight away, but he would have that chance to learn the offensive side of the game, learn the patterns of play and, and then be able to perhaps rival Robertson for that left-back role? I would be completely intrigued to see how Jamal's game developed. Uh, I mean, once something like this emerges, you kind of expect that eventually the move is going to happen. I mean, it might play out over a long time, but I I think I'm probably leaning more towards this move happening than not. In fact, I'm almost pretty sure of it now that it's going to happen. Now, with that in mind, I think what you've got to kind of consider is how Jamal's game can develop if he goes to Liverpool. And that's what I would be really interested to see because being a better crosser of the ball, timing your crosses better, all of that sort of stuff uh, is something that uh, you can learn that. Um, I think a lot of defensive, uh, the defensive side of the game is a bit more instinctual. So given that you've got to rely on your instincts for that, and Jamal seems to have those instincts as well as being physically very strong, uh, I think if he's not the fastest player at Norwich, he's one of the fastest players, it would be really interesting to see how his game would develop and whether he could contend with Andy Robertson, who's one of the most productive fullbacks in world football, to, to, to do that. But... That, that's part of what makes this a potentially fascinating move. And I would also be interested to see if Liverpool maybe think, and, and you'll probably have more idea of this than me, with Dejan Lovren departing, is this partly, right, could we turn Jamal into a centre-back? Because I think he's definitely got the stature for it and got the physical attributes for it, and he's he's quite a, quite a savvy defender. So it would be inter- I would be interested to know what the methodology is in terms of the bigger picture of how he fits tactically from, from Liverpool. And it's going to be fascinating to see if it goes ahead as I would now expect it to. Yeah, well, we know last summer they were interested in Lloyd Kelly at Bristol City, moved to Bournemouth. And of course, this last season, he's been playing as a left-sided centre-back with them as well. So maybe it is something that is being considered. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You said the word fascinating there before as well, Stuart. And one thing that fascinates me with this whole transfer, and we spoke about him last year, is the man who really does operate things at Carrow Road being Stuart Weber. And the fact that he comes up, I suppose, in the transfer dealings against Michael Edwards, a man so renowned and revered for what he has done in assembling this Liverpool side. Two clubs who really have been prominent sides who have sort of led this, I suppose, transition of British football towards that European model of having a sporting director and both have had plenty of success. It'll be interesting to see how these two face off against one another. Yeah. Stuart Webber said on, on my podcast, my, it's at my Corona pod on Twitter, uh, he said on that, that Norwich City will not be bullied. He made that explicitly clear. He said, we set our stall out with how we did the James Madison transfer deal. And if you notice, there's a host of add-ons in the Madison deal, which Norwich City are said to benefit from, um, if Leicester qualify for Europe, caps for England, that sort of thing. And with, with that in mind, I think there'll be some of that in the Jamal Lewis deal. But I think also Norwich City at the time they sold James Madison where not in terms of the players' contract situation, but in terms of the club's financial situation, they were under pressure to get a deal done. And they weren't bullied at that point. They got a club record fee for a, a championship player in Madison. 
uh, a, a record fee for a championship player and a club record fee for him. So I think that shows, and what Weber said to me was, that set the stall out of terms of how we're going to operate moving forward. What Norwich City did, although everyone points to the fact that they didn't spend a lot of money on players, they tied absolutely every one of their big assets and key players down to long-term deals. That was so that if a situation like this presented, Stuart Weber could play hardball. He's under no pressure to sell. In terms of what they've done for the player as well, everyone goes on, oh yeah, well maybe the player will force the move. Uh, I mean, obviously players can, can 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 go whatever way they want about it. They can utilise their agent. They can leverage it whatever way they want. But at the end of the day, Jamal Lewis, Todd Cantwell, all of these players need to remember that it was Norwich City that gave them their opportunity to carve out their career as a footballer. And I'm sure if... Jamal, who doesn't strike me as the type to throw the toys out of the pram and refuse to train and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but if he did choose to go down that road, I think he'd get quite quickly reminded that, look, mate, you're in this situation because this club gave you a platform. And, yeah, it's nice to see Michael Edwards uh, getting the, the a bit of attention now. I mean, he was someone that I always thought, until he got, got a bit of notoriety at the end of the season there, I always thought he was the forgotten man. Now, that's quite easy when you've got Jurgen Klopp, who's... Uh, charismatic magician of a manager. Uh, when you've got someone like that, obviously it's quite easy to to sort of be in the background and be, uh, he's the front man and you're the rest of the band, you know? But I think with Stuart Webber, Stuart Webber's a bit more at the forefront uh, alongside Daniel Farker. Uh, so it's interesting, as you say, to see how it's playing out between those two. And also we've got to remember, Stuart Webber was part of Liverpool staff once upon a time. Under Damien Camoli, he was the guy who was responsible for academy recruitment and plucked many gems from abroad and elsewhere uh, to ensure that Liverpool's academy progressed and pushed on. And that's something that... So that's one of the reasons I'm quite surprised as well that this is playing out in the way it is because, to be honest, I expected better from Liverpool's end. I expected them to be a bit more... I mean, I realise that they want to get players for as cheaply as they can, but when you're Liverpool, you've just won the Premier League, you've just won the Champions League, right? COVID pandemic or not, you've got money to spend. You do have money to spend because you're in that elite rung of clubs. So to to approach this in the way that seems to have been done, I, I think is pretty poor form, to be honest. Do you think then in... In Stuart Webber, maybe Michael Edwards and Liverpool have met their match. You've said a few times now that Liverpool aren't going to be bullied. And I suppose when they've done dealings with players who've been relegated in the past, thinking immediately of Andy Robertson, they picked up for £8 million, Jordan Shakiri for £13 million, albeit part of a relegation release clause, that they have been able to get their own way. Yet, as you say here, championship footballer or not, Stuart Webber, has a value in his mind for his players and he won't be dipping below that. Yeah, I'm sure he's not going to entertain a bid that is, is as low as £10 million or, or less than £15. I'm pretty sure of that. And yes, I think you pointed to Shakiri, you pointed to Robertson. Obviously, there's parallels in the position of where the clubs were headed and I back down into the championship. But the market has increased in value greatly since Andy Robertson made his move. Um, Cherdan Shakiri, you mentioned, was a relegation release clause. And although I don't know what the, those respective players' contractual situations were at the time Liverpool got them, I do know that Jamal Lewis is tied down to 2023. So Norwich City have done that with the, the view that if they were in a situation like this, they could do negotiations as much on their terms as on the other teams, even if that other team is a global superpower in footballing terms.
Yeah, the contract situation is is a funny one, isn't it? And players' contracts don't seem to be worth sort of the even the paper they're they're written on in terms of the loyalty that you think you're tying a player down for those years. Because as you say, he's got three years left on his deal. It's not the dreaded two years that a player then looks to maybe run down his contract. But I suppose it's not beyond the realms of possibility that even if you fast forward 12 months, Norwich might not bounce straight back up. And if they're in the championship at that stage, then they might be presented in a different position and may not be able to get the money that they were perhaps being able to negotiate with Liverpool. It is it is an awkward and, I suppose, an ever-fluid ever, ever fluid and ever-moving situation. Yeah, I mean, that's at both ends. So from Liverpool's perspective, there's no way they go through this off-season without buying another defender. So whether that defender's Jamal Lewis or someone else, if it's not Jamal Lewis, they'll move on to another target. I mean, I, I do expect that they'll get Jamal now. I, I think this has been played out the way it has with the view to a sort of long game, which keeps fans hungry to know what's happening, which also helps to to sort of play it out in the media so that you can see the kind of power struggle. And it's it's a very, very interesting game politically because it's kind of dominating the Premier League transfer narrative at the moment. And that, uh, for Norwich City to be at the centre of something like that is, I mean, for me, as a Norwich City correspondent per se, um, quite fascinating. Like to, to, to watch it play out. And I think one thing that has struck me is that there has been an overall disrespect in terms of how Norwich City have been portrayed. Um, you would Martin Samuel in the Daily Mail writing that Norwich City didn't spend £80 million, so didn't deserve to stay in the Premier League, which is an absolute nonsense, right? I mean, contextualise that. Wigan Athletic, who are in the second tier and won the FA Cup like in the previous decade, are or within the last decade are going are on the verge of going bust. You know they're on the verge of going to the wall. That's a club you, I know you know well. Now with that sort of idea that because you don't put your club in financial jeopardy, you don't deserve to stay in the Premier League is an absolute nonsense, man. And it made me really angry. And I think there is, I mean, among a lot of the Liverpool fans, among a lot of Premier League fans of bigger clubs, there seems to be this. Oh yeah, it's just Norwich, little old Norwich. Well, Little Old Norwich are the only club that is as forward-thinking as Liverpool in terms of the management structure that they've got, for example. You know, other clubs are beginning to maybe go that way now, but it was, while Liverpool had Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp, Norwich City had Stuart Webber and Daniel Farker. Norwich have looked to be proactive and to innovate and to do what they could with the resources that they've got. But key to that is they also know... the. The, the market that they're operating in. They're not a Liverpool. They're not a Manchester United. They cannot go out and sort of spend these ridiculous fees if they don't know they'll get them back, parachute payments or not. You're not going to risk the financial jeopardy of your club just for the sake of staying in a league that's got two separate glass ceilings. Why would you do that? But the other side of it is Liverpool have sort of approached this in a way that I think they're trying to play on that, play on this mentality that Norwich City are a small club. But Stuart Webber has made it clear on numerous occasions on my podcast and on other platforms that Norwich City will not be bullied. We are not going to be treated differently just because of who we are. And I'm really glad to see that we're going to now see maybe that put into action in terms of the way that Liverpool have approached this, Stuart Webber now has the chance to to prove himself a man of his word. And I think he will. I think it's going to be interesting to see the fee that Jamal goes for. And there's going to be a winner and a loser in the, in the public perception of this situation. And it's going to be interesting to see who that is. 
Yeah, very, very interesting to see how it all plays out indeed. Of course, we will have it covered across the Blood Red channel over on the Liverpool Echo website as well. Do keep tuned in to that for all your latest Liverpool transfer news. My thanks goes to Stuart Hodge for joining us and giving us the lowdown on Jamal Lewis and crucially the background picture at Norwich City and just how these transfer dealings may well play out. Until next time, though, from myself, Guy Clark, here on the Blood Red channel, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.